All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad you guys could be here with us. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, I know that last week we didn't have a nine o'clock service. And so to, to have skipped a nine o'clock service and to only given you the option for 1045 and to now see all of your smiley faces back here at nine, you need to high five someone next to you because you guys have got great memories. Seriously. I mean, that's just awesome. I know. I said high five each other and I, I watched so many of you guys look at each other like, he doesn't really mean it. No, I did mean it. I wasn't joking with you. It's okay to have fun, all right? Church is not a place where you have to be somber all the time. It's not a place where you have to just, it's not a place just for introverted people. Um, although it, it is a place, you know, to respect. It is a place to come and worship God, but it's a place to come and celebrate the work of Jesus. And at New Life, we want to be people that celebrate the work of Jesus regularly. That's what I loved about last week. Last week was just a time of celebrating the work of Jesus. I mean, we had 27 people that got baptized last week. If you weren't here, you missed it, right? We broke glass. If you weren't here, it's all cleaned up. I mean, wow. People got up here with their cardboard testimony so boldly proclaiming how God had transformed them and set them free. Amen? It was awesome. I loved that stuff. We had families that were up here. We had individuals that were up here. We had people that were brand new to our church. It's just, we've had people that were, have been around here for a while. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Well, we can't stay in last week though. So where are we going? Where are we going for the next four weeks? We are going with a teaching series I've entitled Ball and Chain. Now please be careful. Do not nudge anyone near you at this particular moment. This is definitely a moment where you want to keep your hands to yourself, all right? No one sitting next to you do you want to say, he's talking about you, all right? It's going to be a bad afternoon for you if that's the approach that you take. For the next four weeks, I want to focus in on primarily marriages, all right? Now, you're going, well, but I'm single. I know. I got it. I got it. I'm going to help you understand that here in a minute. If you're single, what I'm going to do is I want to help you over these next few weeks to determine who is the type of person you really should be looking for? Who's the type of person that you should be looking for to spend the rest of your life with? Okay, yeah, Jeff, I got that, all right. So now you've included me. Good, I feel better about it. I don't feel like the awkward single person sitting here while you're talking about marriage. Um, but what about the divorced person? What about the widowed person that's here today? What about you? Well, if you're interested in getting back into marriage, then this is going to be a great reminder not of just your past experiences, but it's going to be a great reminder of the type of person that you're looking for to spend the rest of your life with. You heard my wife say earlier that we have a marriage seminar coming up. We've entitled it Marriage Built to Last. All right, That's a great title, by the way, for a marriage seminar. Uh, way better than some other ones that we could come up with. But Marriage Built to Last, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be February the 28th all the way through March 1st. That's just a little joke for some of you people that don't realize that that really means from Friday night to Saturday morning. But it sounds like a long ways from February 28th to March 1st. It was just a little catch just to make sure that you're still with us. Okay, so it's going to be Friday night to Saturday. It is actually, it has a cost to it. You're like, man, I can't believe that. Everybody, just, all the church wants is my money. No, your marriage wants your money, okay, on this one. Uh, your marriage needs you to invest into it. That's what it's asking you to do. Uh, the cost is going to be $25 per couple, $15 for a person. But I've got something special for you guys today. Are you ready? I'm going to give away one free marriage seminar today here at New Life. But what you have to do is you have to text your first name and your last name to the number 402-590-5535. You text your first and last name to that number, 
At the end of the second service, we're going to give away the uh, the marriage seminar, okay? So if you're here right now and you become the winner, don't worry, someone will get a hold of you. And we're going to do the same thing next week. So you just text your first name and your last name. Well, can I text more than once? Sure you can. Um, if you'd like to, can you text now and then text later? Yes, you can. Because we're actually going to shut down the texting at about 11.50. At 11.50, we're shutting down the texting and uh, then we're going to randomly pick one winner, one winner, and it's just a random pick of that. No one really sees your name. They're just picking from a phone number, and that person's going to win. So uh, get get with me, join with me, do that. If you got some friends that need to come to one of our seminars, and twenty five bucks is a little too much for them, then have them text right now, okay? Or you can text on their behalf, but you got to text your first name and your last name. So let's talk a little bit about the concept ball and chain, ball and chain. Um, healthy relationships require chains, actually. Chains are not negative. Healthy relationships require chains that are, that are bond, that are bonding two people together. They are chains that are holding two people together. They, they are chains that need to be tightly woven around two individuals to hold them together, to make them one. The problem with relationships is when someone becomes that ball or that dead weight at the end of someone's chain, right? No one wants to become that person, and you definitely don't want to be married to the person that every time you wake up in the morning, you go, you go, wow, now that, that's a ball right there, all right? You don't want to do that. And in our country and around our world, we have an epidemic that's happening with marriages. We have some major issues with marriages. You know, in, in almost all major studies on marriage, it's, it's been discerned and been discovered that 45 to 49% of first-time marriages end in divorce. Some of you, you've been down that road. You've been through that painful situation. Others of you are the children of, uh, of a family where a mom and a dad were married for a short period of time and then they were divorced. And you know the pain that I'm talking about at this very moment. But that's not where it ends. Because then when people go into a second marriage to get married, um, those, those marriages, 65% of second marriages end in divorce. And then if someone goes into a third marriage then the statistics show that about 71% of third marriages end in a divorce. So the issue is, is that it only gets worse the farther you get into it. It doesn't get better. Well, there's a, there's a problem with that. And the problem is, is that right now on our planet, in America, we have, we have our young people, our children, that are waiting longer than they've ever waited to get married. On average, guys are waiting to around 28, uh, 27, 29 years of age. And girls are waiting to somewhere around that 26 uh, to get married. These these are our numbers that have been tracked since like 1890, and they're saying to us right now that people are waiting longer right now than they ever have since and since they've been keeping track in 1890 to get married. Why is that? Could it be that we're giving them bad examples of what marriage is? Could it be that we're showing them that marriage isn't necessarily what it's all cut out to be? Could it be that we're showing them flawed? you know, hopeless relationships because many of them have abandoned marriage. And you know marriage is under attack right now from all different angles, from all different advantage points. And one of the attacks of marriage is the way you and me are living our marriage. That's the greatest attack on marriage. 
The greatest attack on marriage is how husbands are loving their wives right here in Kearney, Nebraska, and those that are here right in New Life, sitting here right now, and how wives are loving their husbands. That's the greatest attack that we have on marriage. The greatest attack isn't coming from some outward source. It's coming from right within inside of the walls of the confines of what we call home. And in the midst of all of that, what's happening is that we're missing out on some of the massive impact that marriage can have on our society can have on our culture can have on our church can have on our nation let me just tell you about some of the benefits of marriage these are statistics these are studies that have been done these are proven facts the positive impact of marriage check this out it lengthens the lifespan of men and women yeah when you're living right when you're living in a healthy god-given relationship it actually lengthens your lifespan it civilizes men and all the women probably have silently right now said amen all right So it civilizes men and it makes us, guys, it makes us more productive in the things that are actually healthy. Did you know that healthy marriages protect women and they protect mothers? There's more protection that's happening. Healthy marriages actually lower the welfare cost to our society. And healthy marriages encourage a healthy birth rate in our nation. Yeah, that's just one thing that happens for moms and dads. But listen to what happens to the children of healthy marriages. Children of healthy marriages are seven times less likely to live in poverty. They're six times less likely to commit suicide. They commit less crime. They, they are not um, as likely to become actually pregnant before marriage. They, uh, they develop better academically and socially. These are children of healthy marriages. And lastly... They're healthier even physically and emotionally when they reach adulthood. There are tons and tons of data that's out there on healthy marriages. But a lot of the times our marriages, if you were able to sit down quietly, would be defined as, oh, someone's being a ball at the end of my chain. So what is God's intent? Why did God give us marriage? Why did God give us marriage if we live in such a time where it seems like marriage is is so crippled and marriage seems like it's under attack why did would god give us this thing and to look and to discover that we have to go to genesis chapter 2 so why don't you look with me really quick at genesis chapter 2 it says this so the lord god caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while the man slept the lord god took out of the man's uh, ribs and he closed he closed up the opening then the lord god made a woman from the rib and he and he uh, brought her to the man take a look at this This is what the man says. At last, the man exclaimed. Yeah. That's the way the first man, first man responded when God gave him a wife. At last, yes. This, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. At last. The man exclaimed. So why did God, why did God give us marriage? What's God, what's God's intention for marriage? At the end of that passage, it clearly says that what God was intending to do is two people becoming what? One. Two becoming one. To do that, there has to be a lot of surrender that happens for two to become one. That means that God's saying there's something that you're going to be better at together than what you could do if you were alone. Something that you can accomplish together that you'll never accomplish alone. But to get there, you're going to have to surrender a lot. 
So let me just help you exp- uh, understand exactly kind of what I'm talking about. Um, anybody, uh, anybody watch PBS and uh, painting? Um, anybody, anybody ever watched that before? All right, so maybe you'll you'll kind of re- you kind of get a, maybe a little bit a hint of this, right? You got that guy, and he's he's on there. Back back when I was a kid, he's like, "We're gonna make some happy trees." Look at the look at the happy tree. Okay, I'm not gonna go like that. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Um, all right, we're just gonna we're gonna paint like third grade style. Okay, so right on, come on, third grade painters. Um, all right, so. All right. Well, we got we got uh, we've got some yellow up here on my canvas, right? For all of you that are back here, I apologize. You have to look through my head. Um, all right. So we got some yellow on the canvas. Um, yellow is going to represent because yellow is a spring color, right, guys? All right. Yellow is kind of an innocent type of a color. Um, so we've got yellow up there, and yellow is going to represent woman who came from man. That man went yes, woman, and then down down here. Um, we're going to let blue, because, you know, blue is for boys. Um, we're going to represent, blue will be for boys. So, here's what, this is what God intended. When God said, two become one, and I know some of you art people are here, and you're like, this is like the worst art illustration I've ever seen in my life. Please don't judge me, alright? Just help me, just help me. Um, two becoming one. For these two entities, man and woman, to become one, there has to be a lot of surrender. And the surrender, the surrender really starts with, you know, man or woman, both together actually, just kind of moving, moving to the middle. You gotta move to the middle. And as you move more to the middle, I really need two of these kind of paintbrushes, but it's okay. I'm not a professional. So, as you move to the middle, you get the yellow moving to the middle, you get the blue moving to the middle, right? And if you keep moving the yellow to the middle and the blue to the middle, then I guarantee you something amazing happens, right? And um, this is something I learned way back when I was probably in second or third grade, that when you move blue to the middle and you move yellow to the middle, what begins to happen, guys? You get green, right? You can get all kinds of different shades of green. If more blue, it seems like it's darker here. If I add more yellow, it's going to get lighter. But somewhere in the middle here, there becomes this, this color that can only be created when the two join together and become one. That's what God's saying. God's saying in Genesis, He's going, there's something that you guys are going to be able to do together that you can't do alone. The yellow couldn't create green by itself. The blue can't create green by itself. But a healthy marriage, it can create this. And that's what God's saying. There's something that He wants you and me to create. But when we're the ball at the end of someone's chain... When we're the dead weight, when we're just going through life, seeing how miserable we can make it for our spouse, then you never create this picture of this beautiful thing that God has for us. So to not become a ball at the end of someone's chain, today I want to talk to you in week one of Ball and Chain about how to be one in communication. One in communication. So follow me. All communicate, all, we all communicate differently from one another, right? We all try to say some of the same things at times, but the interpretation can be radically different. You can say one thing and someone can take it completely different than what you were originally trying to say. Has that ever happened to you before? It happened to me last week. Someone emailed me after my sermon. They sent me something. They said, I, I can't believe you would say that. Um, how could you, how could you say this when, you know, that really means this? And I'm like, I emailed them back. I go, <laughs> I just had to put the ha 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 there because I, I, I really, I couldn't, 
I wasn't meaning anything like what they interpreted it as. So when we say things, many times others can interpret those things. Such as women, as an example. This is some things that I've learned in my 26 years of marriage. That if your wife says, you're so manly. Right? Now, that sounds like a good compliment, doesn't it? You're so manly. But what she really means is that you stink and you need a shower. That's what she really means. Right? And if she says something like, we need this. What she really means, and listen carefully, is... I want this, okay? All right, so you just need to, you gotta make sure that what she's saying, you're interpreting it correctly, right? And if she says, um, how much do you love me? If you walk in the door and your wife says, how much do you love me? What she really means to tell you is, I've done something you're probably not gonna like very much. <laughs> All right, so saying things one way, we have to interpret it the right way. Now, what about men? Cause men, we're, we're in the same boat, right? If men, men, men are there and their wives walk in and they go, Honey, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Kind of sounds a little bit more like that. What do we really mean by that? I'm hungry. That's what men mean. <laughs> men mean we're hungry. All right? And if, if men say something like, Oh, I'm tired. If we say I'm tired, what do we really mean? I'm tired. Right. But if men say something like, I'm tired. Let's go to bed. What do they really mean? Let's have sex right now. That's what, that's what we really mean. So you have to be careful on what you're saying to make sure it's being interpreted correctly. But in, a, in all seriousness, when communication breaks down, there's a few things that begin to happen. Division begins to take place. And I've been able to counsel with a number of couples where communication broke down and division began to happen. Once division takes place, that's a very difficult thing to get two people back onto the same page. Is it possible? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. But it doesn't mean it's not difficult. There's some other things. As communication breaks down, secrecy grows. A secrecy grows between the two of you. And when that happens, then it starts creating doubt. And it starts breaking down trust. And when your spouse is out there, you're always wondering, who are they talking to? You've got this desire or this intrigue to want to know every one of their text messages you want to break into their facebook account you it it starts eroding at the trust and then you know you start caving away at your relationship without healthy communication the glue of friendship gets broken when the glue of the friendship of two becoming one gets broken you start dividing back into your yellow and into your blue that's when someone becomes the ball at the end of a chain So how can you avoid that? Being one in communication means that you have to have intimate communication. You have to go beyond the surface. And you have to share your feelings. You have to share your concerns. You have to share your dreams. You have to share your visions. Guys, this is difficult for men sometimes. Right? It's hard sometimes where, where you come home from work and you, you know, you, you sit down with your wife and if your, your relationship is anything like our relationship, when I get home, I mean, I'm talking like Kim wants to talk a million miles an hour with me. Not to me. She wants to talk with me. And she's wanting to share a little bit and then she wants to hear about my day. She wants to hear about my concerns. She wants to hear about my dreams. She wants to hear about my vision, right? And so it just, that's, I know something about my wife. That's what she wants. That's where she's going. But we have a tendency, and this is me, all right? Many of the things I'm preaching, I'm preaching from my own personal examples. We have a tendency to drift towards more caveman-style communication. 
So I walk in the door. My wife really wants to have this intimate communication about the day and the dreams and the vision and everything. She goes, how was your day? And I go, good. Right? And then, you know, and then she'll say something like, well, what did you do all day? Nothing. You can have a, I can have a 45 minute conversation with someone on my cell phone. What'd you talk about? Not a lot. You know, I mean, that's our tendency. Our tendency is to go there. But I'm telling you, when that breaks down, when that kind of communication starts breaking down, we start losing true intimacy. True intimacy isn't something that's just generated from sex. True intimacy is something generated first from communication. Communication with each other. Otherwise, this thing called sex becomes something that is, you're just using the other person. There isn't a gift that we're giving to one another, which is what God's purpose and intention of sex was, was to be something that's a gift that's given to one another. Instead, we, we've, we've devalued it and we've, we've put it, we've put it into a box someplace. True intimacy comes with communication with one another. So we've got to stop putting these obstacles in the way of communication. Many of you are in bad habits. You walk into the house and where there should be a moment where we stop for about, you know, 15 minutes or so and we just have intimate communication on what's going on and we share life together face to face. We sit down and we walk in the door, we take our shoes off, we grab a soda, we grab some chips and we go straight to the what? The TV. Yeah, someone's like, the, the bathroom. No. <laughs> to the computer or you go, you go to the computer or you go to the, the TV. Are we, are we, as guys or as ladies, I've watched this happen. This is becoming more and more prevalent in our culture right now. That our kids are driving our relationships. Be careful. Don't let your kids drive your relationships. Your kids are a gift from God. We're turning them into a curse. Because we're spending way too much of our intimate communication time with our kids than we are with the one who God gave us. That the kids came from. We're making our kids our idols. We're finding our joy in communicating with our kids. We're finding our intimacy in communicating with our kids. Instead of communicating with the spouse that God gave us. Be careful. Or we're bringing work home. Jeff Baker. My laptop goes goes with me everywhere. You know, if I go to the coffee shop, it's with me. If I go to the office, it's with me. If I go home, it's with me. It is constantly with me. And many of us, we're bringing our work home and our work is now becoming what we're most intimate with and not our spouse. And we're wondering why our relationship with our spouse is decaying. It's because our intimacy and communication is focused in the wrong place. So what we really need to have is more FaceTime. FaceTime. Now, if you have an iPhone, there's an app on there called FaceTime. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about we need to have more conversations with our smartphones, you know. Hey, can you see me? I can't see you. Can you hear me? I can't hear you. It's not, one, it's not a bad Verizon commercial. What, what, we, what we need is like true face-to-face moments. Now, some of you guys, you, you, get, you have these moments where you can get away and have date nights. And that's awesome. And I'm glad for you. And I'm glad you guys can do that. And I want to encourage that type of behavior more and more. For Kim and I, it seems like our schedules are such that, you know, we've, for many years, we tried to do the traditional date night. And we found out, okay, that doesn't work necessarily for us, but we can't get away from it. So we have more of a ritual that we do throughout the week. And we look for moments, whether it's in the morning to go get coffee together, because we both enjoy good coffee. I don't know who changed who, but it's been a beautiful thing in our marriage. So 
Thank you, honey. I love you. We'll enjoy a good cup of coffee together. Or because our kids are out of our house, we're getting many more evenings where we're spending, you know, together. Whether it's at home eating a meal together or it's going out and doing something special uh, with one another. But we're trying to maximize these moments throughout our week. And for the and for the most part, we do a great job of it. But to do that, we had to implement some things into our relationship. Number one, we had to start a Google calendar together. This is very basic, very simple stuff. We had, to, we had to launch a Google calendar together where we share a calendar so that my wife can see what I'm doing and that she can insert things into that calendar and I can see what she's doing. And that way we can, we can set up dates with one another. And every once in a while in my calendar, there will be a moment where she'll say, you know, dinner or coffee or I'm taking you to the doctor so you can get your shot and then afterwards we're getting coffee. I get manipulated that way sometimes. Right? You don't go to get that allergy shot that you're supposed to. I'm going to make sure you get it. And to do it, I'm going to manipulate you with, you get to spend time with me. And it always works out good. Thank you, honey, for helping with that. There's things that we have to do. We, we can't go without FaceTime and intimate communication. You've heard it said, and it's just a funny little joke, but you can't just tell your wife at marriage, I love you, when you got married, and then just think that that's going to ride forever. It's like some people, they joke about when we go to restaurants and as Christians, we take a moment and we pray before our meal. I've had some people joke with me and they said, oh, I prayed at the beginning of the year and I covered all the meals for the rest of the year. I'm like, wow, now that's efficient. That's awesome. I don't think that's what God was intending. I think God's looking for more of a surrendered heart over and over, an intimacy of thankfulness and gratitude for what he's done. And guess what our wives and our spouses and our husbands, guess what we're looking for? We're looking for continued intimacy and communication where we look at each other and we tell each other, I love you. One of the ways I want to help you tell your spouse, I love you, is I want you to get out of your bulletin. There's a little communication sheet called an exercise, it's called a communication exercise or a talk sheet. I want you to grab that for me. It's something that I, something I I put together for you guys just to do together. All right, so if you're married in here, what I want you to do is I want you to just kind of put your spouse's name at the top. Now, if you got a bulletin, that means you only got one of those. So you may need to make a copy of it. If you need an extra copy of it, then ask at the church office and we'll get you more copies, okay? But what you would do with this thing is you would write your spouse's name at the top. So I would write, Dear Kim... And then I would look at every one of those lines that are underneath there, and I would rate them on their importance to me. How important is it that my wife cares about praying for me? And I would write down a number. I would say 10. And then I would, then I would put a smiley face next to that, because I know that she does that well. Right? And that's what I would do. But as I go down the list, when I get done with the list, I'm going to circle three things on that list that are things that I really would love her to pay more attention to. This is not dogging her. This is just me letting her know these things are important to me. And then what I want you to do is after you fill that out on each other, you know, so dear Kim, and she would write one to dear Jeff, then I want you to schedule a date with each other. Get onto your Google calendars, share it with each other, set it up. We're going to go to Ruby Tuesday. We're going to go on Thursday night. We're going to go at 6.30. And guess what we're going to do when we eat together? We're going to talk about this sheet. This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through it, and I'm going to hand you yours then, and you're going to hand me mine. And we're going to just kind of walk through, and we're going to talk about the things that are important to you that you really need your spouse to be involved with, right? 
And you're going to highlight for them all the things you put smiley faces next to. And then you're going to talk intimately about the things that you circled. The things that you really need to spend some extra time on. So that's just a little assignment that I want to encourage you to do. If you're single in here, how do you use that? You go down the list and you fill those things out and you write numbers next to those items. How important are these things to you? Because this is now a guide for the type of person you want to spend the rest of your life with. So make sure you take some time and you pray about it. You invest into it. And you go, God, who's the kind of person that you made for me? And you let this kind of a document spell out what things are really important and what things aren't. Our conversations with one another, if we're going to be, if they're going to be intimate, they're going to have to keep expanding. If two people are going to become one, the intimacy in our communication is going to have to expand deeper than what it is. So what I don't want you to do is don't be intimidated to communicate the hard issues at the right time. Some hard issues are going to be communicated at that table on Thursday night at 6.30. But that's the right time. You've set it up. You, you're both coming to the table. You both know you're going to talk about your marriage. You both know you're going to talk about some things that are you know, important to you. And when we don't communicate the difficult things at the right time, guess what we do? We actually cheat each other out of the best. We cheat each other out of the best. So when you talk with one another, though, I want you to keep this scripture in mind. It's found in Proverbs verse, or chapter 15. It says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. When you do get a chance to talk with each other, just remember that gentle answers, they actually deflect anger. But harsh words are going to make your tempers flare. So this one in communication happens when we refuse to become angry with one another and we strive for gentleness. That's something that you, it's a choice you get to make every day, isn't it? It's a choice for you. You can be angry if you want to or you can be gentle. And when someone else is getting angry, you know what really shuts down anger? is when someone else just stays gentle. But if someone's angry and the other person responds with anger, what typically happens to the scenario? It escalates, doesn't it? It goes to a brand new level. So when someone's starting to, you know, raise the anger in the relationship, your response of gentleness will shut down that temper type of a flare. And if it doesn't, then obviously there's something going on inside of that person that only God can begin to deal with. And that's where we know that's an area that I can begin to pray for them. Because harsh words, they do some things. They cause a person to become defensive. Harsh words cause people to respond in a greater sense of anger. And harsh words even shut people down. They shut them down. If you're harsh with your spouse and you shut them down, and you clam them up, and they know that all you're going to do is you're going to just bite at them, everything that you say, you're going to shut them down to the point where you're literally going to take, you're going to take their God-given gift that's helping you become this color green, and you're going to take that piece and remove it straight out of your life. And you're going to miss out on the best because they're afraid to talk to you. Some of you that are here today, and I'm going to speak to the men right now, some of you men, Your wives have got some amazing answers for your life, but they're afraid to tell you about them because they know that if you start, if they start to tell you about them, you're going to bite their head off. And so you're missing out on the best because they're the closest person to you on this planet. God gave them to you, but they don't feel comfortable sharing with you the things you actually need to hear. That's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of 
hard to take sometimes. But you need to do a self-evaluation because some of the best that you have sitting next to you isn't being shared with you. But gentle answers, on the other hand, gentle answers will allow intimacy to develop and they'll unlock the true partner in your spouse. So I want to encourage you to, uh, I want to encourage you to have gentle communication with each other, build each other up, unlock one another. All right? That's what I want to encourage you to do. So just to remind yourself about being gentle, turn to three people really quick and just look them in the eye and say, be more gentle. All right? Just look them in the eye. Tell them, be more gentle. Just really quick. Be more gentle. Be more gentle. Let me tell you one more thing about if you don't want to become the ball at the end of someone's chain, then you're going to have to learn to become a really good listener. Now, you knew that was coming, didn't you? If you're going to talk about communication, you have to talk about what it means to be a good listener. So here's, here's some stuff that I just want to talk to you about um, when, it, when it's concerning what it means to be a good listener. Um, who really has time to listen? I mean, honestly. Don't we all have good excuses for why we don't have time to listen? We all have busy schedules. Even if you're in retirement, uh, it seems like we're, we're more busy now than we've ever been before. We live in a fast-paced life, and in this ADD world, our minds are, are multitasking way too many things. But there is no true multitasking in good listening. There's none of it. So as an example, I don't really care if you can type 60 words a minute. But you can, you can still claim to be able to listen to me. I don't really care if you can play a video game and still say, I'm hearing you, I can still listen to you. And I don't care if you can listen to an iPod in one ear and say that you can listen to me in the other ear. What I'm really looking for is your full attention. Are you with me? Any of those scenarios hit home closely at all? Yeah, I'm doing one thing, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you my full attention. Well, let's just put it this way. If it's illegal to text and drive at the same time, it should be illegal to do anything else and claim to be a good listener. To be a good listener, you're going to have to lay down everything else that you're doing. Drop the cell phone, get your keys, get your hands off the keys, drop down the controller, pull the iPod out of the one ear, put down the book, whatever you got to do, because if you want to be a good listener, you have to get beyond those things. In fact, James 1 says this, it says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to what? Listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Gotta stop thinking. Stop thinking of what we're going to say next in the conversation and actually start listening. Is any, is anybody like that at all? Are you like me? When I, that when I walk in the door after being, you know, at the church all day and my wife's got that thousand, that list of a thousand things that she wants to tell me and she starts into it and maybe three words into it or five words, whatever it is, she says something like, you know, I was driving the car. Wham. As soon as I hear I was driving the car, my mind goes to, man, the oil needs to be changed in that car. But she, she went to tell me about how she drove the car and she picked up this other girl and she went down and got some coffee and then she led her to the Lord and then they went over to her parents' house and they prayed for her parents and her parents got healed and then God delivered them and then there's this mini revival going on. But my mind is stuck in the fact 
that she said, I was driving the car, and I instantly went to the next thing I've got to tell her about the car. So as soon as she gets done with all of that, and maybe she doesn't even get done because she's taking too long, and I can't keep the thought long enough in my mind, out of my mouth comes in the middle of, and they got healed. Don't forget, change the oil in the car. Has that ever happened for you? When someone's talking, all you can think about is the next thing that you're going to say. Because if if that's what we're doing, we're not being quick to listen and slow to speak. We're not following out the passage that's in front of us. This is one of the major defaults of our fast-paced, multitasking society in which we live in, is that we don't really slow down to really think about what's going on. We gotta, I have to remind myself, when my wife's talking to me, I'm not in the middle of a business negotiation. Is this not me thinking about what she's saying so that I've got the right comeback so I can convince her of what I want to get done? This is her sharing her, her intimate moment with me, her life with me. She's wanting to know what happened in my life and she wants me to share it back with her. I'm not in a negotiation with my wife. This is my wife. She just needs me to listen. Amen. <laughs> it's true though, Right? That's why Proverbs 29.20 says things like this. There's more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. More hope for a fool than someone who can't keep their mouth shut long enough just to listen to what the other person's think, other person's saying. Or a person that can't really truly listen. They're just listening so they know exactly what they want to come back with. Listen. That was a little pun. Listen. Listening lets the other person know that you truly care. So please, please, just listen to these next few things, right? Listening lets the other person know that you care. When you talk too much, it communicates that you think that your ideas really are much more important than theirs. If that's what you're doing in the relationship, if all you're doing is talking, 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 it really says your ideas are the ones that are the most important and everyone else's ideas, they just really don't matter. Right? Now, if you're a talker, what I want you to practice doing in your relationship is I want you to muzzle your mouth. Muzzle it. Shut it. Start listening. If you're the talker and all you're doing is the talking, muzzle it. Because you're not getting the best from your spouse. All right? And what you can do is I want you to put like a mental stopwatch on your conversations. Just a mental stopwatch on your conversations. I want you to practice listening for a balanced exchange with your spouse. Put a mental stopwatch on it and go, okay, just kind of look. I've been talking for like, you know, five minutes or ten minutes. And then, you know, I I want them to be able to talk. At first, they're going to be used to you cutting them off. They're going to be used to you, you know, giving them a moment to talk and they don't even seize it because they're waiting for you to talk again. So at first, it's going to be unbalanced. But what you're striving for in your relationship is a little bit more of a balance in your communication. I mean, it's only then, only then when you have true communication where you're listening, they're speaking, you're speaking, they're listening, and there's a healthy exchange and a healthy balance, it's only then that you're going to get the great feedback from each other. So in wrapping this thing up, God designed communication to be at the center, the center of every healthy relationship. And if honoring God in your communication is something that's a priority to you today, then you've got to consider the scripture in James 1, 26. It says that if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, then you are fooling yourself 
and your religion is worthless. If you claim to love God, but you can't control your own tongue, whether it's just that you're just the over-talker and it's just smothering your spouse, or you're angry with your words, you're harsh with your words, and you're smothering your spouse, if you just bite people's heads off, if, if you can't be a true good listener, but you're always thinking about the next comeback that you're going to give, but you're claiming to love God, you're just fooling yourself. Your words and my words have the ability to bring life and they have the ability to bring death. And we've got to realize that. We bring life and we bring death to our spouse. And if you want to become one in your relationship, then you've got to do that by inviting Christ to become the center of your marriage. And if you're single, if you're single in this place, then you need to, you need to do something today. You need to make a vow to yourself, you need to make a vow to God that I'm waiting for a godly person. I'm not looking for the person that I'm going to try to do missionary dating with. I'm looking for a godly person. Someone that cherishes the same things I cherish. They have the same values that I have. And in fact, you need to be looking for someone that loves God more than they're willing to love you. That's what you need to look for. If you're single in this place, look for someone who's willing to put God and His values ahead of you and your values. And then, by the way, if you want to keep a healthy marriage, then you've got to make sure Christ is at the center and you're loving God more than you're loving your own spouse. That you're loving God more than you're loving your children. You're loving God more than you're loving your work, more than you're loving your finances. You've got to love God more than you love any of those things or all of this begins to fall apart. We've got to bring God back into the center. So if you're married, I just want you to be praying, asking God. Ask God to, you know, speak through you to each other, to encourage you, to build, to build each other up. Ask God that He would help you to become more calm He would help you to have more of a cool, level-headed attitude towards one another. Because by the way, God gave you your spouse. And let's never forget, you're the one who chose them. God gave them to you. But you're the one who stood on a platform. Or some of you maybe stood in front of a judge. Or you stood in front of family and friends. And you're the one that says, I choose you. We can never forget that. If we have that kind of attitude, we have that kind of desire to be faithful to that word, I chose you, then you know what? You'll be less likely to become the ball at the end of someone's chain. And in doing so, you'll both honor God and you'll honor one another. But it all starts with being one in communication. Let's pray. As I pray, why don't you stand with me? Lord, you designed us as beings that are beings of communication. Lord, we we need to be talking with others. We need to be hearing from others. Otherwise, we become this weird, awkward, hermit-type quality of a person with these social um, imperfections. You didn't design us that way. You designed us to need one another. You didn't design us to be loners. You did, Lord. I, I, I even remembering of the words that Paul spoke about in the in the New Testament, where he was even referring to some people are just going to stay single all their life. But that doesn't mean that you called them to be a hermit. It doesn't mean you called them to be a loner. Lord, you have a purpose for our lives. Lord, you put a lot of emphasis on marriage. 
you want you want to teach us something through this process if we're willing to surrender we take our color take our uniqueness of our lives and we allow it to be blended with our spouse there's something you can do between the two of us that's more powerful than what we can do if we're alone so that i just pray i pray that in this room today that lord you would increase the love and the bond between marriages between husbands and wives the Lord, during this time of worship, they would find themselves coming to an altar just like this, kneeling down, praying for each other. Because they're hungry. They're hungry for a healthy marriage. They're hungry to keep maintaining a healthy marriage. They're, they're hungry to honor you by striving for oneness in their communication with each other. And I pray that this week, somewhere in this week, they would find time to Lord, fill out that little simple assignment and Spend some quality moments over a cup of coffee or over a dinner with one another and just sharing what's really going on in their lives. Lord, that honors you because you gave us our spouse and we chose them. In that, in these next few moments, may we worship you, may we honor you, but may we give you our worship and an expression of thankfulness for all that you blessed us with. May we be one in our communication with you today as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.